Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. Like Dustin said, my name is Ryan. I got like a smattering of. Thanks, Maggie. I appreciate that. I hope you'll join us for Road Trip Revival. Seriously, this is something that we've been looking forward to for quite some time. It's something that I know is, was on Pastor Aaron's heart. Like just, hey, we, we need to do this. And so uh, this is something that we encourage you to be a part of as much of it as you can. So we know for some that may just be, if you can make it one night, that's awesome. Make it at Germantown, by the way. Don't tell anyone I told you that. But make it at Germantown on the 20th, or 29th. Uh, but at all uh, four campuses, uh, phenomenal lineup of speakers. And we just, we're just asking that God shows up and, and do whatever he wants to do. We don't have a specific agenda other than simply saying, hey, we're going to come before God. The speaker, we haven't even given them uh, a ton of direction on where they're going. They kind of know what we're, what, what we're doing, that, you know, revival services, a lot of them, they've done that before. But we're just saying, hey, we're just going to seek God and see what he does. And uh, God does ne- never disappoints. I mean, we believe that one moment with Jesus makes all the difference, changes everything. And so we're just asking for an encounter with Jesus on those nights. And so we invite you to be a part, uh, as, as many of them as you're able to make it to. You can get more information online or just take this card, put it on your fridge, whatever you got to do. Make sure that you remember uh, th- that it's coming up. But Pastor Aaron is starting a brand new series uh, next Sunday that actually kind of goes hand in hand with the Road Trip Revival a little bit. It's a series called If dot 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 then. And what we're specifically doing is we're looking at a verse in 2 Chronicles 7.14 where it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face, then, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive them of their sins and I will heal their land. There's a lot in between the if and the then. Uh, It's a phenomenal uh, verse of scripture. Uh, And in fact, I think the entire gospel message is really summed up in in that one verse. But we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks what happens in between the if and the then. And so it's going to be a powerful series. I hope you're back for that. In fact, I don't know if we've ever done a series on one verse, but we're going to try to make it happen over the next few weeks and hope you'll be back for that. Uh, like Dustin said, today is a message that it actually was birthed out of a conversation with the campus pastors uh, a f- like about a month ago. We were just sitting down saying, hey, what's one thing for your campus that you think needs to just, like, this is something that we need to get as a campus. And all of us pretty much came up with a lot of the same exact things. And it was around this word devoted. It was being devoted, not, not just on an individual level, but on a corporate level, being Devoted. What does that look like? And so today we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 2. We'll get there in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I got to just ask a question. How many of you are like me and you do not like to ask for help? Anybody be honest enough? Like, okay, maybe it's, yeah, got a lot of independent souls out there today. And, you know, there's times, obviously there's times we all ask for help and there's times where, you know, like if I'm going into a store and I have absolutely no idea, I have one thing I need to get and I have no clue where it is, I'll ask because I don't want to just wander around. But a lot of times, like I was shopping, which doesn't happen often, but man and I went to the mall, which I go to the mall like once every five years. So we went to the mall on Friday and, and I'm just, you know, we're just looking around, don't really have an agenda necessarily and I have like five people that pounce on me like, hey, what, do you, what are you looking for? What can I, I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm just walking around. I just leave me alone for just a second. 
we're very much an independent culture. We're an independent society. And uh, I know this because of the number of shows devoted to do-it-yourself, DIY. Any DIYers out there, you look like a good project at home. I, some of it, but normally I end up spending more money doing it myself than hiring it out or more injuries uh, than hiring it out myself or you know, to somebody else to do who actually knows what they're doing. But uh, we are very much a do-it-yourself type of a society and culture. And how many of you know that sometimes those projects don't always go according to plan, right? You, you know that they, you know, sometimes you just are like, man, I'm amazed by how awesome that came together and how, how crafty I am. That's not a sentence I say very often. So I, I want to show you a few pictures of some do-it-yourself projects that haven't gone according to plan. Let's take a look at this first one here. I don't even know if this didn't go according to plan, but it just made me laugh a bit like that obviously is a very special clock. Uh, next. So I've actually done one. I've done something like this before. I was installing a door, which I'd never done before, and I bought the door, got it all the way home, and realized I had the hinges wrong, had to return it. And so anyway, I can relate to this. Uh, you know, somebody said, pick the, the, the low point for the drainage, and they said the high point instead. So go to the next one. Sometimes you just need a new couch. <laughs> so duct tape only goes so far. Uh, let's go to the next one. Just didn't calculate how far to the second sink. And I, I can hear some husband trying to convince his wife, you don't need to get the water in both sinks. This is okay. <laughs> next one. Ooh, yeah. You know, there's actually a couple things going on here. So there's no structural engineer that's been consulted for the hot tub. It appears to be filled with bubbles or something. I don't know. But there's also like no door that, to get out to. So even if, even if they were right, it just, it just uh, you're going to climb through the window? Anyway, go to the next one. Every type A person just can, you know, everything opening into the wrong place. We have one situation like that where a pantry door and a fridge door. Anyway, go to the next one. Now this is a man after my own heart. Uh, he does not want to ask for help. He's like, I got folding tables and a ladder. I, so truth be told, dad, if you're watching this, I'm sorry, but I have a dad who's a bit wired this way. Like, let's do it and think about it later. And he's got eight fingers to show for it. So next, next one. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Putting a toilet right by the sliding door, just not a good look. Next one. So you may not notice this one right away. But if you see where the toilet paper is located, just a bit of an awkward reach and a weird shower. Okay, next one. So some of you probably don't see a problem here. And, and if that's you, you are the problem. Um, we want perpendicular or parallel. That's it. Those are the only two options. We can't have the lines doing that in the middle. But anyway, that, again, a humorous look at some do-it-yourself projects. By the way, I had a lot of fun this week looking at do-it-yourself projects gone wrong. There's, there's a lot of them. Uh, but it's a humorous look at a, a very real example in society that we're very much a do-it-yourself society. Don't ask for help. You know, don't be independent, but what independent can sometimes be worn as a badge of honor is also often being isolated 
and being insulated from others. I mean, I don't have to tell you, uh, all of you very much about this, but over the last 18 months, this idea of social distancing, there's some people that have gotten real comfortable <laughs> with the idea of, okay, so I don't, I, I don't have to be around other people. I can kind of do my own thing. And it's only exacerbated a problem that was already there. In 2019, there was a study done on loneliness, and it, uh, it found that 61% of Americans would identify as being lonely. 61% of Americans. Now, they, they honed in specifically on millennials, which I, by the way, am a millennial, and so when you disparage millennials, you're disparaging me, and I, 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 I'm a little hurt by that, but I'm on the, apparently I'm on the older side. of I don't know what all that means, but I'm a millennial, and so they looked at millennials specifically, and they found that 79% of millennials identified as being lonely. 79%. That's a huge number. 25% of Americans live alone compared to just 50 years ago, that number was 12%. You know, we've just seen just a, a drastic jump in the number of people living alone. The society continually goes more and more towards this independent, on-your-own type of a society. And that's not, I, I, when I read scripture, that's not what God had in mind. In fact, I believe God has hardwired us, hardwired our DNA to be living with other people, to be living in community with others. In fact, there's been studies done on brain activity, specifically when you remove somebody from a social group, what happens in the brain? Because we've been hunting and gathering types of societies for thousands of years, and just in the last 100, 150 years, that's, we've kind of broken from that norm. And so what happens in the human brain, uh, uh, scientists have found that it actually triggers a fight or flight type of reaction in the brain when you remove somebody from a social group. It actually triggers in the brain that there's an emergency that something is deeply wrong. That's the kind of thing that happens in the brain. And it's no wonder why there's so many people that struggle with loneliness and depression and fear and anxiety, all the things that go along with being removed from a social group. God designed us to live in community. And today I want to look at a passage of scripture that I think is so critical, uh, and not just about being together, but what is a church supposed to be about? What are the things that we as a church collectively are to be devoted to? Because obviously everyone in the room has made a decision that I would rather do life as a Christ follower with other Christ followers than do it by myself. And so what are we devoted to as a church? Let's read together in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is how the early church functioned. And we're going to break it down a little bit today. But this is what made the early church so successful. 
and, and we see a pattern here. This is the first time that the church, how the church functions is mentioned in scripture. And anytime something is mentioned for the first time, theologians call it the law of first mention, that it's something that should get our attention. It's something that we should pay a little more attention to because God is trying to communicate something a little bit more important than just maybe the second or third or fourth time. He's saying this is something that is ingrained in what it means to be a Christ follower and, and specifically here, what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. And here we sit 2,000 years later, and statistics say that there's about 2.5 billion, billion Christ followers in the world, and all of them trace their roots back to this early church. All of them come back to the disciples, which then birthed the early church. I think this model was pretty successful. I mean, there's still work to do, don't get me wrong. There's still people that have not yet heard the Bible says that after that, then the end shall come. And so there's still work to do. And that's why we do things like missions and fire Bible and trying to get the word into the hands of everybody. But 2.5 billion people trace their Christian foundation back to this church. What did this church do that was unique? There was an extreme devotion. And there was a devotion to a few different things. The first one today is this, that, that lives are changed when we are devoted to God. Lives are changed when we are devoted to God. There was a devotion to God. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This word devoted, in, in Greek, it specifically means to steadfastly be attentive to. It conveys an idea of constancy and purpose and resolve. And most of the times that it's used, this word devoted, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but uh, most of the time that it's used in scripture, it's specifically talking about being devoted to the word of God. It's being devoted to scripture, being such an important part of being a Christ follower. There was an extreme devotion to God. Why is this so important? for a church to be devoted to the word of God. I think we see it just 18 chapters after Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter 20, we read the, this verse. Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Very quickly after Jesus left the earth and the disciples were kind of put in charge to run the church and take it from there, kind of take the baton, there were false teachers that, that swept into, into, uh, into religion, into Christianity, and tried to say, well, no, no, hold on, this is really what the word of God means over here. And since that, you know, 2,000 years ago, since then, every single generation has done the same thing. They've tried to throw their cultural ammo, so to speak, at the word of God, thinking that maybe the word of God will move. And every time, they're disappointed. It does not move. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the nature of God, which is God is scripture. The word became flesh. And so every time they're disappointed, and, and we shouldn't be surprised by it, but it's so many people saying things like, well, surely, you know, the Bible didn't know how enlightened we would be in 2021. And, you know, like when it writes about gluttony, it had never seen an all-you-can-eat all you buffet before. Like, like, they wouldn't know how, what we're dealing with today, and you've heard arguments along those lines. Like, they wouldn't know what we'd be dealing with in 2021. We've come a long ways since 2,000 years ago, and so there's different issues. And so as culture shifts, so must the word of God shift with culture. And the Bible says it doesn't shift with culture. It, the, the same scripture that the first church used as a, a, as a guide for daily living is the same scripture used for us today. 
The minute that we begin to ask the scripture to shift with culture is the minute that we extinguish the flame of Jesus Christ in the gospel. That song that we sang that uh, the early church, that the spirit lit the flame and that's really what, what the Holy Spirit is represented by. And so every time that we say, oh no, no, uh, you know, the scripture doesn't really mean that or it can't possibly mean that, it really means this, we extinguish the flame of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about, just so you know, I'm not talking about there may be some differences in interpretation on some different things here and there and one denomination thinks that, I'm not talking about little things, I'm talking about big things and cardinal doctrines and you know the supremacy of scripture and the supremacy of who Jesus is. I'm talking about big things that culture has seemed to say, no, 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 Jesus must have meant this over here. So how do we combat that as a church? I think it's just simply being in the word of God, knowing the word of God, making everything about the word of God. Every time that we come together today that we try to rightly divide the word of truth, this is why every time we preach, this isn't just, uh, it, it goes through a bit of a process. We talk about it. Uh, other you know, preachers on staff, we all talk about every single message, every single weekend, getting ideas from each other, but also making sure, is this is this good? I just had a conversation with Pastor Dustin right before service. I said, hey, this is a comment I'm going to make. Does that, does, you, does that align well? Do you think there's anything off in that? It's because we want to make sure, we, there's times we're going to get it wrong, but we're trying to rightly divide the word of truth every single Sunday. Timothy writes that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We need to know the word of God as a, a collectively as a church, but also on an individual level. And so the question would be, what are you doing to be devoted to the word of God? Are you in the word of God every single day? Are you, you know, doing things like we put out something called SOAP, uh, scripture, observation, application, prayer. That's one way that you, can, that you can stay in the word. It's not the only way. Maybe you have a different way. Whatever it works for you, but simply saying, hey, I need to get into the word of God because the first church, that was something they got right. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Let's be a church that's devoted to the word of God. Secondly, lives are changed when we are devoted to God's people. Lives are changed when we are devoted to God's people. It's not just being about devoted to scripture, it's also being devoted to one another. Verse 45 says, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. The concept was that we need each other. We need each other. We weren't meant to do life alone. God mentions this you know, all throughout scripture, this is woven in. You look at the, the concept of the Trinity, three in one, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That, that concept of the Trinity is an example of relationship. You look at the Garden of Eden. God cr creates man. He creates the world. He creates everything, says it's all perfect, but there's one thing that needs to be addressed. It's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates Eve to be a suitable helper, helper for him. He sees that, hey, he recognizes right be even before man sins, even before God addresses sin, he addresses the loneliness of man. Jesus himself lives life with the disciples for three years and goes everywhere with them. There were times that he retreated. He needed to have a little bit of stress and release, but he lived life with them. In, in fact, 
from Scripture, we don't even know for sure. Did Jesus have a house? Did he live somewhere? The, the Bible says that the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. He may have just been going from disciple to disciple, living among, you know, he was doing life with them. He modeled what it, mean, what it meant to do life and be devoted to each other. All throughout scripture, we see this concept of one another. You ever, you ever recognize how many times it says one another, specifically in the New Testament? I'll give you a few examples. It says loving one another, forgiving one another, accepting one another, bearing with one another, being devoted to one another, honoring one another above ourselves, greeting one another, being hospitable to one another, being kind and compassionate to one another, sharing with one another, serving one another, carrying one another's burdens, building up one another, encouraging one another, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds, instructing one another, praying for one another, confessing your sins to one another, being of the same mind toward one another, and submitting to one another. It's a few times that it mentions this concept of being together. Take it a step further, you look at the book of James. We're specific, we could preach a whole sermon on this, but it talks about uh, how that we receive forgiveness from God, but we get healing from each other. It's, it's in there, read, read, read in the book of James, where it talks about how healing actually comes from relationship with each other. Forgiveness comes from God, but healing from each other. The, it's ingrained all throughout scripture. Here in, in, in chapter 40, excuse me, in chapter two of the book of Acts, it tells us what life-giving relationships look like. It's learning together, spending quality time together. That's where we get this, this Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship. It's eating together. Amen. Thank God for eating together. It's, but all throughout scripture, when eating together was an extremely intimate thing, it was something that you didn't just casually do. It meant that you were in relationship with each other, eating together, praying together, sharing together, going to each other's homes. And notice too that they met in large groups and small groups. This first church had both things going on. They met together in the temple courts and they worshiped God and they learned more about him, but they also got together in each other's homes. They, they, did, it, they did both of those things. And that's why at Life Church, we don't think like life groups, for example, is not just a clever, good idea. That's something that comes directly from scripture that we're going to meet together collectively as a, as a body of Christ and worship God. That's really the main purpose when we come together is worshiping God, bringing honor to his name. But then when we get together in smaller groups, that's more about admonishing one another and living life together and praying for each other. That's what that dynamic looks like in scripture. So Dustin mentioned it early, but, uh, earlier, but I'd encourage you, get involved in a life group. Get involved in a life group. I mean, maybe you, maybe you already have kind of your group of Christ followers. If you do, awesome. If you don't, that's what life groups are meant to be. Maybe you're new to the church trying to figure out how do I get plugged in, involved. Can I just tell you the first time might be scary because you may not know anyone and it's like, here we go. I don't know these people, but let's go for it. And you might have to try a couple different ones. But can I tell you also, if, if you're a mature Christ follower in the room, because I've heard this said before, and I don't think there's nothing, anything wrong with it necessarily, but I've heard people say, I've been in a lot of Bible studies, I've been in a lot of groups, I, like, I don't know if I need that right now, or maybe my schedule doesn't allow, you know, whatever, and, and I don't know if I need that. And my, my comment to that would be that life groups may not be about you. Maybe there's somebody else in the group that, 
needs you. Maybe you're, maybe you're a little much more mature in your faith. Maybe you're a grandparent now. But there's a young mom who needs somebody to come alongside because they're going through a difficult situation right now and say, hey, I've been through that before. Let me give you a little bit of advice. Let me pray with you. Let me walk you through that. Maybe it's not necessarily about what you get out of it, but it's what, what you can contribute to it. Doing life together. Let's be a church that's devoted to one another. We're devoted to the word of God. We're devoted to one another. And the last thing we see is that lives are changed when we are devoted to God's work. Lives are changed when we are devoted to God's work. Verse 47. This is an amazing verse. It says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So you see, you back up just a a few verses before this and you see that Peter gives a sermon on the day of Pentecost and there's 3,000 people that get saved just like that from him preaching an incredible sermon. Had to have been an incredible sermon. 3,000 people get saved. But then from that point forward, it's not necessarily about these big sermons, although there were some. It was more about this life-on-life discipleship and evangelism. It was about people in the church, in the early church, going and telling somebody about Jesus. You know, the Bible says that we don't have to have all the answers, but we're supposed to simply give a representation of the hope that we have. That's what Second Peter writes about that. We should share the hope that we have, and that's what the early church did, apparently very well, because here we sit today. They gave an account for the hope that they had. See, Jesus is already attractional. You don't have to do anything to make Jesus attractional. The gospel is attractional. But our job as Christ followers is to show people. Our job as Christ followers is to point people towards Jesus. Because they may not have ever seen what it truly looks like to be a Christ follower, what it truly looks like to have the hope of Jesus Christ. And we're to point people towards Jesus. We don't have to have some big apologetics for Jesus, although it's good to be able to defend your faith. It, we don't have to necessarily convince somebody that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We simply say, hey, I'm going to point you towards Jesus because I believe Jesus already is attractional. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus shakes things up a bit with the Pharisees specifically. He had a habit of doing that. I don't know if you read through scripture. It's kind of amusing to watch how he interacted with some of the religious elite because they, they didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. And Matthew chapter 9 is no exception. Verse 10, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. That verse would be astonishing to a Pharisee. They would look at, the, they're eating, he's eating with sinners, like tax collectors. Tax collectors would have been like kind of the lowest of the low as far as they were scam artists back in the day. That, that was not somebody you wanted to be associated with and yet Jesus had dinner with them. We keep reading verse 11. The Pharisees saw this. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why, why on earth is he doing this? And, and they're also implying a second part of that question. They're not just concerned with why are, you know, why is Jesus eating with tax collectors? They're also wondering, why is he not eating with us? He never wants to hang out with us. He just hangs out with sinners. Verse 12, Jesus overhears them, and he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I mean, he, he confronts it straight up. Like, hey, I get it, guys. 
you don't need me right now as much as these people need me. Jesus had a heart to impact those around him. He was devoted to the work of God. The early church was devoted to the work of God, to sharing the gospel. So the question for us is, what, how can I be involved in that? What does that look like? Maybe, maybe for some of us, it's simply just sharing our faith a little bit more boldly, looking for opportunities I'm not saying you have to go to the street corner and preach, although I will say my grandfather got saved that way and here I am today because of it, but I am saying that when's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? And I'm not, I know a lot of people get kind of, uh, you know, messed up about all this because they're like, well, I don't know scripture frontwards and backwards and I don't know and what if they ask a question I can't answer? You simply say, hey, this is the hope that I have. This is the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. And I may not have all of the answers. I may not understand every little detail in Scripture, but I do know that Jesus has given me hope. And I know that he can give you hope too. People respect that, first of all. Even if they don't agree with you, they're like, that's somebody that has some convictions. They're clearly devoted to something. And this is a day and age where people are not often devoted to, uh, you know, the right things, to be honest with you. Maybe it's sharing your faith with a coworker. Maybe it's inviting somebody to church with you. Maybe it's uh, serving at Life Center this fall you know, and giving hope to somebody who needs it. Maybe it's uh, joining a life team, being a part of a serve team here at Life Church. I don't know. There, there's a lot of different ways that you could do that. But let's be a, a church that's devoted to the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a man uh, that many of you may know, I don't know how many exactly, but a, a man named William Wilberforce that is a historical figure um, that many of you probably know who he is, but William Wilberforce was a man who was devoted, and he, he became part of the British Parliament at the age of 20, and at the age of 26, he became a Christ follower. So at that point, everything kind of changed for him. He was a politician for the first six years, and then he got saved, and he's like, I'm here for, to see change in the name of Jesus. Like, I'm going to do whatever I can to see, see change. At that time, the slave trade and slavery were legal in Great Britain. And so he saw it as his life mission of, I'm going to see to it that that's illegal. And so for the next 20 years, from age 26 to 46, he spent his own money. He brought bills in front of the British Parliament. He worked tirelessly to see that the slave trade was made illegal. And 20, 20 years later, at the age of 46, British, the British Parliament voted in 1807, February of 1807, they voted to make the slave trade illegal. And there was a lot of people that clapped and cheered and they were, they, they, they were kind of honoring him for his work, that he, his contribution towards that. But he said, no, 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 I'm not done yet. Yes, the slave trade's illegal, but slavery itself's not illegal, and that's my next step. And so then he went on to, to, to spend the next 26 years of his life to see that the slave trade and slavery itself were illegal. Three days before he died, and that it works that way sometimes, three days before he died, British Parliament voted to emancipate the slaves of England. So this man spent 46 years, up until three days before he died, 46 years saying, I see something that's not right. I see something that doesn't align with scripture. 
I see something that needs to be done and I'm gonna be devoted to see that I do everything in my power to see that that injustice is rectified. That's somebody, that's, that's being devoted. See, I don't think that we have a devotion issue in our country necessarily. I think maybe sometimes, myself included, we're not always devoted to the right things. Because at 325, just a little bit, a lot of people are gonna be devoted to something. We're gonna be ingrained for the next three hours and there's nothing wrong with that. We're devoted to that. For me, it's at noon, but that's okay. I'm a little different. We're gonna be devoted to that. We're devoted to, uh, you know, maybe it's a, a Netflix show. You're into it. Maybe it's that you're devoted to a hobby, a hunting or fishing or whatever it might be. Maybe you're devoted to essential oils. God bless you. But we're devoted to things. I don't think it's a devotion issue. Sometimes I just think we're not always devoted to the right things. Not necessarily to, those aren't, I'm not saying that those are the wrong things. You hear me when I say that, but being devoted to the right things, the things that move the needle when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love what Paul writes in Colossians chapter one, verses 28 through 29. He does this several times throughout the New Testament where he kind of encapsulates, here's what I'm all about as a Christ follower. He says, he is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. By the way, that admonishing and teaching doesn't happen alone. It happens with other people. To this, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul was a lot like William Wilberforce. I'm gonna put it all on the table. This is everything I got for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you right now, when, we have a, when, when a church does that, all of heaven erupts into celebration and all of hell shudders because that's a church that is going to do something. That's a church that's gonna be devoted to the right things, devoted to the word of God, devoted to each other and devoted to the work of God. Will you join me this fall and be a church that's devoted to the things of God? Would you pray with me today? God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that when you started the first church, it was something worth giving our lives for, giving our lives to, because we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that there are people that are hopeless without you. So I pray this morning that we as a church would be a church that is devoted to your word, that we be devoted to each other. God, sometimes the enemy can use disagreements within the body of Christ to get us off track. And I pray that we would learn to set those things aside and be united today. This, this world that we live in today wants to tear us apart in so many different ways and put us on different sides of the aisle on all sorts of different issues. God, let that not be true here at Life Church. Let us be a church that's devoted to each other and devoted to the unity. God, I just pray also that as we venture out into a world that needs you, that you would help us, God. God, your word says that you go before us, that your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We need you to go before us this, this morning and this year. We thank you for it. Help us be devoted to you today. In your name we pray, amen.